Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to podcast 27 of the History of Skipton with me, Ian Lockwood, author of the book, The History of Skipton. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast so far. If so, please pass the message on to friends, family, etc. But in this episode, we're going to start a new segment looking at crime and punishment in Skipton. And I'm going to kick off with the forgotten story of the Guy Fawkes riots. When we think of riots, police charges with batons and fighting between police and crowds, we envisage an inner city scene, a violent demonstration, perhaps in some far-off place ruled by a despot, where peaceful protest is harshly put down. Hardly likely to be the streets of Skipton. Yet, on Guy Fawkes' night, 1872, that was precisely what happened with an astonishing event. A crowd, generally accepted as being around 2,000 strong, clashed violently with a small force of about 30 policemen, who charged them with drawn truncheons, hitting out indiscriminately. Nor was the violence one way only. Several policemen were seriously injured by missiles, including their commanding officer, Thomas Grisdale. Poor Grisdale, whose appointment had been welcomed by the local press, was the man who took the blame. He was vilified in the press for his insane actions, and within a week had been removed from his post into that favourite recourse of the police authorities for wayward officers, early retirement. The riot, while extraordinary, was the culmination of a slow-brewing series of events rather than a sudden one-off. Its roots lay in decades of celebration of November the 5th and the discovery of the gunpowder plot. The political significance of Guy Fawkes Day had long faded, but as a day to escape from the drudgery of daily work, it was still cherished by many in the town, who congregated around the high street in the hope of some excitement to break the long November nights. But Skipton was to suffer from the overzealous attentions of two policemen who were to put their personal crusade above their common sense. On the first occasion, in 1852, a superintendent Beanland, who was in charge of the parish constables before the establishment of the West Riding Police Force, issued a notice strongly forbidding any disturbance on November the 5th. But far from seeing this as a policeman seeking to uphold the peace, 
Many Skiptonians saw it as an assault upon their liberties. That year, hundreds of townsfolk gathered in the high street and there was a continual discharge of firearms and brandishing of torches. With just a handful of local constables of questionable vigour and decided old age, the superintendent was powerless to do anything about it. A precedent had been set, however, and for some years Guy Fawkes' night in Skipton was celebrated with renewed vigour. Fast forward almost two decades, and by 1872, the West Riding Police Force had been in place for 16 years. Centralised, professional and more disciplined, it replaced Beanland's local force, and in Skipton, a new superintendent was in place, Thomas Grisdale. He arrived with a good reputation from his time in Saddleworth, and he proclaimed that he wanted Skipton to be a place where he could hang his watch on the parish church gates at night and find it still there the next morning. We know little of Grisdale. His actions paint a picture of a pedantic stickler for the rules. A Victorian Captain Mannering, who allowed his sense of authority to outweigh his common sense. Or maybe I'm being a bit unfair. Perhaps he was a man with a sense of duty, determined to maintain law and order, and brave enough to face up to a baying hostile crowd, no matter what the consequences. You be the judge. One year before the extraordinary events of 1872, the Craven Pioneer of November the 11th, 1871, reported that Skipton had enthusiastically celebrated Guy Fawkes' night. It wrote, The usually quiet marketplace and streets adjoining it were used as a general rendezvous by young men and juveniles of the town. Notwithstanding the exertions of the police to prevent it, the firing of squibs, crackers and other fireworks was continued until a late hour. A week after this, 11 men appeared in court on charges in connection with the evening and Superintendent Grisdale gave the first indications of his hard-line stance. First, however, a solicitor called Paget, defending someone called Francis Airy, claimed that the agitation was caused because of public outrage when a policeman struck a child and cut his face. No evidence was produced, but the allegation clearly annoyed Grisdale. He testified to the court that, despite notices being put up across the West Riding of Yorkshire, including Skipton, warning that the police would not tolerate disturbances on Guy Fawkes' night, Skipton was in a state of riot, as he put it. He claimed that more than 1,000 people were gathered on the high street and were throwing crackers at police. He pleaded with them to desist, but his cap was knocked off and his clothes were singed by one firework. He told the court, I am sorry to say that a great number of shopkeepers and persons from whose position in life we might have expected better things were there laughing at the scenes, and by their gesticulations and demeanour they were inciting the mob to continue the riot. He wanted the prosecutions brought to show the public of Skipton 
that they could not break the law with impunity. The magistrates were less keen to make an example of the eleven men, and although all were found guilty, the punishment was a relatively lenient fine of just five shillings. So, twelve months later, Grisdale had a point to prove for November the 5th, 1872. The pioneer's verdict on what was to happen was dramatic. It wrote, The past week will certainly be notable in the annals of Skipton, for there has been disgrace thrown upon the town, which cannot be removed by mere words. Almost universal indignation has been uttered against the action of the police, and more especially towards the superintendent, Mr Grisdale. How came it to pass that something like a serious riot happened, and that today, in all parts of the kingdom, our quiet, orderly little town is being talked of as the only one where the 5th of November was commemorated by police charges and stone-throwing? We unhesitatingly throw the blame upon the guardian of the peace, Mr Grisdale, and his subordinates. They have excited by their conduct a spirit of aversion and contempt which will act injuriously for many years to come. So what had gone on? Well, in the days leading up to Guy Fawkes Night, posters began appearing around the town warning people not to create a disturbance by setting off fireworks. Grisdale, mindful of events the previous year, had drafted in every available constable from the surrounding villages to add to his force of just five Skipton police constables, making a total of approaching 30 men. Around seven o'clock, the young men of the town gathered as usual in the High Street area and were surprised to see such an unprecedented police presence. Grisdale had ordered his men not to allow any fireworks to be set off, but it was an instruction they could not carry out. Crackers, squibs and Roman candles were set off to cheers from an ever-growing crowd, with the police powerless to intervene. Then the police, according to the pioneer, instead of contenting themselves with ascertaining the names of such of the culprits as they could secure, they commenced an insane attempt to clear the streets. Persons quietly walking on the causeway were interrupted, shouldered and ordered to go back and this course of conduct very exasperating and injudicious, injudicious and perhaps illegal led on to the more serious fracas. The more serious fracas was that the police drew their truncheons and charged the crowd. A number of innocent people were caught up in this. The housekeeper of a Mr Parkinson of Caroline Square was heading for the post office to post a letter for him, but was knocked over and shaken. This police charge only inflamed the situation. Grisdale was jeered everywhere he went, and this spurred him on to further attacks with drawn truncheons on the public, whose numbers were steadily growing as word of the commotion spread and more and more people came out to see for themselves what was going on. Among them was a bugler and somehow a drum and pipe band materialised which marched about before stopping in Sheep Street to play Auld Lang Syne and God Save the Queen to the cheers of the crowd. 
The police had cleared most of the top end of town and stood back, observing. By 11 o'clock, it seemed as though things were quietening down as the crowds began to drift away. But it all suddenly flared up again, perhaps as the pubs began to turn out their occupants. This time, a few stones were thrown at the police, who were forced to seek refuge before they regrouped and attacked again. The pioneer said it had been unable to name many of the injured, but it was nonetheless a lengthy list, including several respectable townspeople. 82-year-old John Tomlinson was pushed violently to the ground, and a Mrs Whittam had her leg injured. Mr Marshall Banks, who the paper said had his hands in his pockets and never removed them, bled from a head wound. Fruiterer Andrew Greenwood of Craven Terrace was stunned and received several bruises, while Nathan Preston needed medical attention for a head wound after being knocked unconscious. Mr Upton and his wife of Millfields were both knocked down and both cut on the head. John Parker, also of Millfields, was cut and bruised, while Shacklock Mason of Newmarket Street was wounded on his hand. The police did not escape lightly. Grisdale himself was cut on the thigh, legs and back and hit on the head with a stone. Some 20 other police officers were injured, the worst being P.C. Lim, who was carried into the hall of the wall pub, semi-conscious, with severe cuts to the head and thigh. The crowd was, however, ultimately dispersed. So angry was the mood in the town, and so alarmed was Grisdale, that the following day he called for reinforcements, and 86 police officers from all over the West Riding descended on Skipton. Among them was the West Yorkshire Chief Constable, Captain McNeil, who stayed as the guest of J.B. Dewhurst at Airville. That night, Dewhurst and McNeil paraded up and down the high street together, while the 86 policemen were kept in reserve but out of sight. True, a number of roughs, as the paper called them, assembled at the top of Sheep Street and let off a few fireworks. But Dewhurst, a man whose influence as chief employer in the town counted for something, calmly walked up to them and advised them to go home and not cause a disturbance. However, the presence of Grisdale drew boos from those passing, and when the chief constable and Dewhurst entered into dialogue with ordinary citizens, they were left in no doubt that the actions of the superintendent and his unjustified attacks on the residents were blamed as the cause of all the trouble. The public anger about Grisdale was summed up by a letter in the Pioneer. Hiding behind a pseudonym, the anonymous writer fumed, all who witnessed the outrageous and imperious manner in which Grisdale sought not to prevent or detect parties from letting off fireworks, but to override and trample upon the liberties of the people, could not but conclude that if any person was responsible for the breach of the peace, that person was the superintendent. Some of the most inoffensive inhabitants of the town were subjected to very rough and insolent usage by the police, who charged all indiscriminately with drawn truncheons, and not infrequently, both women and children were roughly handled and struck at by these guardians of the peace. The writer claimed that the crowd were in good humour, 
and had not struck a single blow until the first police charge. He continued, Our superintendent seems to have thought himself strong enough to stamp out a custom that has existed for over two and a half centuries. Poor man! He has studied human nature to little purpose, or he might have known that customs continue to govern us long after the causes have ceased to exist. Four days later, Skipton Magistrates Court was packed as several townsfolk appeared in connection with the disturbances. Word had got out and a hostile crowd gathered. Dewhurst was among the six magistrates, with Matthew Wilson in the chair and Chief Constable McNeil in attendance as a spectator. He was to play no part in the proceedings. There were hisses as Grisdale entered the courtroom. First up was a quarry worker called Joseph Barker, who was charged with throwing stones at the police, with Mr Ferns, a solicitor from Leeds, directing the prosecution. Ferns' address to the court was often interrupted by boos, hisses and the stamping of feet as he outlined the police case. He told how Superintendent Grisdale and his sergeant, called Carr, had walked quietly and unostentatiously down the high street to Caroline Square, where some young boys were setting off firecrackers, but he treated it as a childish prank and chose to ignore it. However, the crowds began to grow until it reached somewhere between two and three thousand, and they began to throw stones at the police who were trying to keep a low profile. Eventually, Grisdale's men appealed to him, asking if they were to stand as targets and be injured all night. So Grisdale drew his men up in a line and asked the crowd to stop throwing stones. But that only prompted more missiles. Among the throwers was Barker, who had been cautioned for stone throwing earlier and whose identity was well known to the police. Superintendent Grisdale ordered his men to draw truncheons and carried out their instructions with what Ferns termed as good temper and good feeling towards the public as any set of men placed in such an unpleasant position possibly could do. Barker was defended by a solicitor called Turner, and this time the crowd cheered and whistled their approval of his criticism at the injudicious conduct of the police. When the magistrates found the case proved... There was uproar, with hisses and stamping of feet, yet the verbatim report of the proceedings, down to every hiss and cheer, does not mention any attempt to quieten proceedings. Perhaps the magistrates did not wish to inflame matters further, given the hostile nature of the crowd. They were still brave enough to find Barker 20 shillings. Next up was William Baldwin, on the same charge of throwing stones. Police Sergeant Snowden said he had spotted Baldwin throwing a stone and went up to him. Baldwin denied that it was a stone he had thrown, but the magistrates again found the case proved and imposed a 20 shilling fine. There were more hisses and foot stamping, and Ferns could contain himself no longer. He condemned the crowd and said their action appeared to approve the offence and encourage others to go and do the same. Matthew Wilson also finally delivered a warning from the magistrate's bench, 
one which today's solicitors might tear to pieces. He stated that anyone in the public gallery was just as guilty as the defendants. He also said the police could not be expected to distinguish who had thrown stones. A third man, a shoemaker called Ovington Butler, was then accused. But the evidence against him was that five stones were found in his pocket. The booing was loud when Grisdale took the stand and gave his version of events on that night. There was more uproar when he claimed his men had marched quietly down the high street after several, including himself, had been hit by a stone. Grisdale claimed he had spotted Butler several times during the course of the evening and finally arrested him around midnight. Solicitor Turner's cross-examination of Grisdale produced a passionate denial of any wrongdoing. Grisdale denied hitting another shoemaker called Jonathan Lee and his boy. I do not remember striking anybody with a stick or truncheon, the press reported him as saying. I had no stick. I never struck anyone with my fist. I was struck repeatedly all over the body with stones and my hat was knocked off. I was two or three times hit on the head by stones. His denials were interrupted when the chairman of the bench said the police were not the defendants. They had not been summonsed. Butler was found guilty and fined 20 shillings. The same verdict and sentence was rapidly brought in on two other Skipton men, Abraham Varley and John Parkinson. The next cases were somewhat different. Thomas Phillips, a draper, was the only one charged with setting off fireworks and failed to appear, defending Solicitor Turner stating that he had a busy shop to run and wanted the bench to deal with the case in his absence. Ferns asked for an arrest warrant to be issued, but Grisdale made a generous intervention. He stood up and said he would drop the charge if costs were awarded against Phillips, and this was quickly agreed. Next up, the tables were turned, as Ferns turned defence solicitor for a policeman, P.C. Metcalf, who was charged with an assault on John Staveley who claimed to be an innocent bystander on his way home from the railway station after seeing off a friend with other gentlemen. Mr Staveley told the court that he had simply wanted to get to his home in Court Lane. He was on his way back from the station when he came across the police line blocking the high street. He saw no disturbance, no stones thrown, heard no warnings to the crowd, but when he had asked to be let through, the policeman, who he knew, struck him to the ground with his truncheon. Ferns submitted that, given the circumstances, the policeman had no case to answer as he was only carrying out his duties and keeping the peace and had not used excessive violence. You may not be surprised that the magistrates dismissed this charge against PC Metcalf. This decision was met with the usual hisses and boos, and it seems as though now Grisdale's patience finally snapped. The whole proceedings had been subject to interruptions, jeers, 
boos, hisses and stamping of feet with almost no attempt to stop it. Now, with the termination of the last case, Grisdale suddenly stood up on the bench where he had been sitting and shouted, Constables, the first man who creates a noise or disturbance you must take into custody. The court must not be kept in a continual disturbance. Quite why he now chose to intervene, only he knows. But his order only served to create what the pioneer termed even more uproar. No report of any arrest was made, and it was left for Matthew Wilson, the leading magistrate, to draw proceedings to a close with a general statement. The good sense of every person present must tell that fireworks were dangerous and improper in the streets. The town had become too great and too important to admit of such childish practices. If they wished to let off fireworks, it was better done out of town. A person might have his eye knocked out by such a riotous disturbance, and the thing had become a public nuisance. You may remember that the West Yorkshire Chief Constable had spent considerable time in the town witnessing Grisdale's conduct at first hand. He was also present in the courtroom. He cannot have failed to record the public hostility of the population, nor the fact that many of those criticising Grisdale were respectable tradesmen, not ruffians. The superintendent's dramatic but futile grandstanding in the courtroom cannot have impressed his superior, who doubtless was seeking to calm, not inflame feelings in Skipton. Grisdale was around 60 years old, and although he had 40-odd years' experience, most of it was in the days before a county-wide police force had been established. His role as the parish constable in Saddleworth meant little real scrutiny of his ways. Two days later, with no fanfare at all, he was quietly posted back to Saddleworth and retired a few weeks later. There was one final repercussion which was played out in the Skipton Court a few weeks later. A labourer called Edward Bailey sued Grisdale for three pounds three shillings, three pounds fifteen in modern money. This was for injuries he claimed he suffered during the riots. Bailey claimed that he was on his way to the Thanet's Arms on business and had stopped to talk to someone outside the Craven Bank, today's Barclays Bank, when he was punched twice by Grisdale. His wounds were so bad that he was off work for 14 days, incurring doctor's costs of 14 shillings and sixpence, 73p in today's money. A doctor testified to the severity of his injury and a witness said that it was Grisdale himself who had committed the assault. When Grisdale took to the stand, he shed a little light on his personal circumstances. He revealed that three times in 1872 he had asked to retire on a pension. He denied the assault and his policemen were loyal to the end, claiming that they did not see Grisdale strike anyone all evening. One policeman even suggested that he saw Bailey on the ground, and it might have been him who struck the blow.
he could not remember. The charges against Grisdale were dismissed by the jury. The following November the 5th in 1873 passed relatively calmly with no arrests and a big attendance at a large bonfire at Ermistead School. The pioneer noted, Under the judicious regime of Superintendent Sykes, any attempt to disturb the public peace would have been altogether unjustifiable, and we are glad that there were none. Skipton has again presented an example of sensible behaviour worthy of imitation. Let past shortcomings be forgotten by the friendliest bodies of upright men. However, bonfire night in Skipton had not suddenly become more peaceful. In 1877, the Herald carried a letter from a visitor appalled at the disturbances in the town, and it commented that the streets of Skipton were not safe for women or the timid to walk. A church warden called T.P. Brown said he had been roughly handled by Hughes when he stopped when he tried to stop a bonfire being set up at the gates of Holy Trinity Church. The police were absent, having been dispatched to Empsey, where trouble was feared after two men were arrested for starting a large fire on the main street. The Herald called for a public event to be staged, as happened in other towns, as that would attract crowds away from the main street to attend a bigger spectacle. It suggested Rombold's Moor would be an ideal venue. Again, in 1881, a visitor from London staying in Skipton was annoyed enough to write to the paper, In your issue of last week, you refer to the usual police notices announcing penalties for discharging fireworks and firearms in the public thoroughfare and expressed the hope that the superintendent of police would not, by his official zeal, cause a repeat of disgraceful scenes witnessed a few years ago. Now, sir, I was a witness to the extraordinary proceedings in your Skipton streets on Saturday night last, and as a stranger in the town, I was surprised not only by the total disregard of the public to the notices referred to, but the passive sanction of the police, who were armed by the authority of the law and duty-bound to carry out its requirements. Yet they seemed to wink at the disgraceful proceedings of the wild rabble who had taken possession of the streets and for several hours imperiled the safety of lives and property. But the popularity of Guy Fawkes Night collapsed after this. So much so that in 1906, in a terse paragraph, the Herald noted, The gunpowder plot was not observed to any great extent in Skipton. The custom, indeed, so far as Skipton is concerned, is almost dead. I hope you've enjoyed this retelling of the long-forgotten story of the Guy Fawkes riots in Skipton. In my next podcast, I'll be looking at the courts in Skipton and some more disturbances in the town.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.